The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Happy Father's Day. Not necessarily a Father's Day message today. I think I'll, I'll throw in one application somewhere, but want to keep going through the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 20, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. I'm going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. You know, there, there are different ways in which we see. We look and see with our physical eyes. We see by mentally considering something. And we see by comprehending the meaning of something. We look, we consider, and we get it. But believing is more than seeing. Believing not only comprehends a truth, but surrenders to it, lives in light of that truth. You can, you can look at a chair, you can consider how it might work, you can understand that it will hold you, and then belief or faith means that you actually surrender your weight to it. You trust it. Seeing and believing should go together. Have you seen Jesus? Do you know that he's real? That he's aware of you? How do you see him? Mike Schumann writes, Recently I stood cowering under an overhang as hail dropped from the sky and rattled the ground beneath my feet. The sound was deafening, like a million little firecrackers going off all at once. The clouds above me were black as coffee, the sky behind it a sickly green. Isn't it strange the way storms like these can distort our minds? This particular storm was short-lived, and yet my memory of the sun had been nearly engulfed in its darkness. With each roar of thunder, it became more and more difficult to recall the caress of its heat or the brilliance of its light. But even in this storm, I never concluded that the sun was gone forever. I never questioned whether the sun ever existed in the first place. Despite my fears and doubts, I knew the sun was real. It still exists. It's Shining is just behind the clouds, even though I couldn't see it. We know that the sun is in the sky, the car is in the garage, the laundry is in the dryer, without needing to check and make sure. We know that sweeping something under the rug doesn't make it actually disappear. Although sweeping dirt away will hide it from our eyes or cause us to forget about it, that won't change the reality that it's still there. Many unbelievers know this and yet are inconsistent about it. When asked why they struggle to believe in Jesus, a common reply is, if I could only see him, then I would believe. Consider the ragtag group of Galileans who stood in amazement as they watched the Son of God ascend into the sky, disappear from their sight, 
The one they walked, talked, and ate with was now out of sight, but not out of mind. Despite the trials and persecutions that would later come their way, they continued to believe that he would be with them always, even to the end of the age. And yet, not all who saw the resurrected Jesus actually believed in him. In fact, Matthew tells us that there were some who doubted even as they looked upon the post-resurrected Jesus as he stood on the mountain in Galilee. But if some of those who actually saw the risen Christ with their own eyes failed to believe, what hope do we have? We haven't touched him like Thomas, walked with him like Cleopas, or ate fish with him like John. It would therefore seem that we are at an incredible disadvantage compared to those who witnessed the resurrected Jesus. The New Testament disagrees. In fact, Jesus said that it was to our advantage that he left. How can that be? Jesus knew something the disciples didn't. He knew that it was not sufficient to merely see him work miracles or teach in front of crowds. Instead, what humankind most needed and still needs is to see Jesus with the eyes of the heart. Therefore, Jesus sent the helper in his place, the Holy Spirit who gives spiritual sight and enables us to see Jesus, who, really, who, who he really is, the Lord and Savior of the world. In other words, Jesus disappeared from our eyes in order that we might see him with our hearts. But seeing him with our heart means that you first receive a true spirit-enabled sight of Jesus. This is the reason why some fall away in the midst of persecution, while others are choked out by the cares of the world. They had never truly seen Jesus in the first place. The opposite is also true. Even in the midst of life's storms, those who truly see Jesus continue to hold on to faith that Christ is shining behind the clouds. This matters immensely because in the midst of times like these, more than any other, we're tempted to ask whether Jesus is really there. From our text in John chapter 20, Verses 1 through 10. Let's think about what it is to see and believe. But before we go there, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we have marveled at Jesus. At his finished work on the cross for us. And this morning we have dined at his table. We have remembered his body sacrificed for us. His blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, reconciling us with you, and we give thanks. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he lived the perfect life of obedience to you, that he accomplished all that you sent him to do, that he resisted temptation and sin, and that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for us. And for your glory. Thank you, Father, that this finished work on the cross led to his vindication and our hope. 
through the resurrection. Give us eyes to see, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, John 20, we'll begin at verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth with which had, uh, Jesus' head had been wrapped, uh, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is God's word. You may be seated. What do you see? Though you don't physically see the resurrected Christ, do you know that he's alive? Does this understanding lead you to faith? A faith that trusts in his finished work at the cross. A faith that repents of sins and trusts in him for salvation. A faith that reassures you that because of Jesus, you're right with God. A faith that compels you to obey and follow him and and want to please him. If what you see about Jesus doesn't lead you to this, then you don't rightly see him. In these verses, John mentions three kinds of seeing. And one of these leads to believing, a believing that led these men to prefer as time went on, to prefer suffering and death over denying him. A major theme in John's gospel is belief. Uh, Fifty times John uses the word believe or believing. Fifty times. And what he's after, the reason he wrote this gospel, is that your belief would lead to everlasting life. John mentions people that, that believed in Jesus who eventually walked away. And so we see there's a difference in belief. There are different kinds of belief. But what we see is that these people who walked away, they only believed him for a show, for maybe a healing, for, for a miracle, for some free food. But when they're confronted with surrendering themselves and utterly depending upon him, well, then that's just too much. And John tells us that they leave, that they 
went away from him. They believed. They were even called disciples. But when confronted with this reality, they left. They weren't believers. But when, they're, when they were confronted with that, how sad. How sad because Jesus is the greatest possible treasure. He is our eternal joy. Nothing, nothing compares to him. This is who he is. And the resurrection proclaims this truth. Do you see him? Do you see him for who he truly is? John writes this gospel because he wants you to see. He he wrote it so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God, fully man, fully God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why he, he contrasts things like light and darkness throughout his gospel. Belief and unbelief. Life and death. He wants you to see and believe and have everlasting life. John gives us a a written historic witness so that you might be born again. And then see the kingdom of God. And then believe in Jesus Christ. And seeing and believing is because the Holy Spirit has brought us to life taking the message of the gospel and causing us to rightly see it and embrace it and be changed by it. God's word is truth. We're changed by it. We continue to see Jesus and relate to Jesus through it. Okay, it's Father's Day, so here's one application for you guys. Dads, we need to lead. We can't lead if we don't see where we're going. So we need to be in God's word. We need to look to Jesus for our salvation. We need to let the care, not let the cares of this world choke this out of us. To not let the competing pleasures of this world become greater than the incomparably great treasure of Christ. Dads, we need to keep growing in our faith so we can encourage the same in our families. Not a shallow seeing and believing that may not be real. Not simply going through the motions in a robotic sort of way, but letting our family see true joy and love for Jesus in our lives and in the decisions and in our priorities and in our attitudes. God has placed us in this role and we need to lead. Growing in our understanding, seeing, seeing, and believing for the sake of eternity and those we love. In our text, we've come, we've come to the resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus changes everything, truly. First of all, notice in verse 1. That the resurrection occurred on the first day of the week. John points this out to us. On on Sunday. And from this time on, because of the centrality and significance of Christ's resurrection, the worship of God's people changed. Amazing. 
for thousands of years. It was Saturday, the Sabbath, that was the day set apart in honor of God, a day of rest, remembering how God provided and trusting that he will continue to do so. And likely because people worked the other six days of the week, this is when they would gather and go to the synagogue and worship. What does it say about the significance of Christ's resurrection? That thousands of years of history changed in a day. We worship on Sunday. The first day of the week is called the Lord's Day. And immediately in the life of the church, this is the new day that we gather to worship. And eventually, do things like eat pulled pork. Um, Which reminds me, stay afterwards. We're enjoying a pulled pork sandwich meal. It'll be great. A good time of fellowship. Immediately, We see this in Acts 20, verse not the pulled pork, but the Sunday part. We see this in Acts 20, verse 7. We see this remarkable change in their worship saying, On the first day of the week, when we were gathering together to break bread, Paul talked with them. Believers gathered to dine at the Lord's table on the Lord's day. And Paul apparently gave a sermon. And for your benefit, I won't make a case for the rest of the verse, uh, which says that he prolonged his speech until midnight. The resurrection of Jesus brought about a new creation, a new people. And of course, they would now gather to worship on the best day of all, the day of the week that Jesus rose from the grave. The next thing we see is Mary Magdalene, her obvious dedication and care for Jesus. She's up early, and the description that John gives is not only literal in that it was dark outside, but I think figurative as well, the way in which John uses dark and light throughout his gospel, figurative in that her current experience was a very dark time. Mary was in the dark. She didn't yet understand. And her heart was grieving. What did Mary see and believe about Jesus? This Mary, Mary Magdalene, she's only mentioned in the Gospels on two occasions. Each of the four Gospels mentions this occasion. The the morning when Jesus rose from the grave. And... Only one other that we know, Mary Magdalene, it it comes from Luke chapter 8, which says, And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. So Mary experienced a healing. She was possessed. A healing of seven demons led her to believe something about Jesus. And this belief led to a love and a dedication in giving 
Because it says that she and these other women financially provided for Jesus' earthly ministry. And now she faithfully comes to the tomb. Now we see her in the dark, desiring to, to honor the body of Jesus, but not really seeing the, the reality of, of what's happened. We read of her approaching the tomb, and what she sees is that the stone has been rolled away. But her reaction tells us that she didn't yet believe what Jesus said would occur. He told his disciples that he'd rise from the dead. Scripture tells them so. But they didn't yet see this and believe. And so, in the dark, Mary assumes that someone, likely grave robbers, have taken his body. So she runs and tells Peter and John, who then run to the tomb. John runs a little faster, likely because he's younger than Peter, and he gets there first. And I don't think that John gives this detail out of pride. I don't think he's just wanting to point out that he's faster than Peter. I think what he's really after is he wants us to see, he wants to emphasize how one kind of scene led to another. There's an order to this. He gets there first, then Peter looks in, and then John goes in. So he's emphasizing how one kind of scene led to another and how this is related to true belief. Look at verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. The first word for saw simply means to look and see. It's physical sight. There's no conclusion drawn. The Greek word simply has to do with, with seeing. And maybe it's because he didn't have time to think because Peter quickly comes pushing past him and, and right into the tomb. But when he describes what Peter saw, it's interesting that John uses a different word. Each Greek word is translated into the it's translated as saw in English. But the meanings are different. John saw the linen cloths lying there, and Peter saw the linen cloths lying there in the face cloth. With John, it's the word that means to look and see. With Peter, he uses the word theoreo which is where we get our word theorize. It means to wonder, to wonder regarding something's meaning. Here's the progression that John wants us to see. From simply seeing to wondering. What am I looking at here? John just looked and physically saw the linen cloths while Peter wondered about the meaning of what he was seeing. Okay, now if, if you knew the burial process as they did, you'd be scratching your head and wondering. Remember, the last chapter tells us that, that Nicodemus brought around 75 pounds of fragrant spices for the burial of Jesus. Jews didn't embalm. They cleaned the body, and then they wrapped it in linen cloths with the 
fragrant spices in between and then underneath. Not to preserve, but to help with the smell as the body decayed. And then after the body was fully decomposed, they'd typically gather the bones and put them in a box that stayed in the tomb. So if the body was gone, why were they seeing what they were seeing? If they assumed it was grave robbers, which they probably did, then the crime scene didn't make any sense. Robbers wouldn't take the time to unwrap a body. And, being robbers after all, they'd, they'd take the linen cloths because they're valuable. So Peter is wondering... He's looking and he's considering, he's wondering, and he's confused. And there's another detail that John uh, didn't initially see. The face covering. The face covering. The linen strips wrapped around just the body. But the face covering was a separate piece that only wrapped around the head. Something else in our text, the Greek word that, that's translated as lying there is the same word used elsewhere to describe something that's carefully kept in order. So this is really strange what they're, what they're seeing. This is significant because not too long ago, what did they see? Not too long ago, they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. But with Lazarus, what do we notice about his linen wrappings? When Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, we read, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. What Peter saw in Jesus' tomb were linen strips and the spices within the strips And the face cloth all neatly kept in the same position as where the body lay. Peter was obviously wondering how that was even possible. Lazarus couldn't even unbind himself. And if he could, he certainly wouldn't gather up 75 pounds of spice now scattered on the floor and put everything back in place. What he was seeing didn't make sense. And now John tells us another scene. Look at verse 8. Then the other disciple, or John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. This scene means to see with comprehension and understanding. First John, and like Mary Magdalene, physically saw and looked. Then Peter saw and was theorizing or wondering how to make sense of what he was looking at. And then finally, John 2 goes in and he sees with understanding. He comes to the only reasonable conclusion that Jesus' body must have been raised in glory. That his body didn't remain like Lazarus' body, mortal. And dying once again. Lazarus was resuscitated. His old body came back to life and he died again, poor Lazarus. 
No, they were looking upon something glorious. The way the linen cloths and the spices and the head covering were undisturbed. It means that his body passed through the cloths. Leaving evidence of the resurrection behind. Concerning this, John Stott wrote, A glance at these grave cloths proved the reality and indicated the nature of the resurrection. Lazarus experienced a resuscitation. His body didn't change. The same physical body was brought back to life only to die again. But with Jesus, something different occurred. It's still his body, but this body was raised unto everlasting life, defeating death, never to die again. This body was His body, it's the same, but it's different. The same in that it's still still Jesus, but Jesus glorified. Not a ghost, not a spirit, because later on we'll see him with his disciples who recognize him and who, who touch him, who ate with him, he ate. And apparently this new resurrected body could not only pass through linens, but through walls. As later on, at the, that very evening, the disciples are hiding in a locked room, and we read that Jesus came and stood among them, saying, Peace be with you. This too is your hope. If you belong to Jesus. This too is your hope. His resurrection means our resurrection. If you belong to Jesus, then his death was your death. The penalty's been paid. He will never die again. And so your current body will die, and one day you'll receive a body like his that will never die again. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more pain. He is our hope. This is our hope. Bodies that are both physical and spiritual, different. If you're a foodie, don't worry, you'll eat. Jesus ate in his resurrected body. You'll still be you. People will know you. You'll know others. There's a lot of mystery there. But what's certain is it'll be perfect. We won't be disappointed. And maybe, just maybe, this will, this will somehow solve my great concern over that long line of people compromising billions who all want to give Jesus a hug. How's that going to work? Maybe this new body will be the answer. It's a mystery. But don't you love that we get a few details about this spiritual yet physical resurrected body. So there's seeing, and then there's wondering, and then there's an understanding that must have resulted in John shouting, He's risen! Jesus is risen! There's no other explanation for what we're looking at here. 
I get it. I believe. But even so, John's seeing and believing is a gift. It's God's gift of grace. And the only reason John or any of us loves Jesus is because he first loved us and gave us eyes to see and believe. This kind of seeing and believing is not a natural thing. Remember Jesus' story of Lazarus, different Lazarus, and the rich man. Both died and Lazarus is on is in this place of comfort and the rich man is in agony. There's two sides of this place divided by a great chasm that none can cross. And the rich man pleads with Abraham to send someone to warn his family. And Abraham says that they have, they have Moses and the prophets to warn them. But the rich man pleads to send someone back from the dead to warn them. And Jesus' conclusion to this story speaks an incredible truth. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Even someone rising from the dead won't convince them. It's a spiritual issue. It's a work of God. It's not a natural scene and conclusion. This is the reality In the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, 40 days the resurrected Jesus appeared to hundreds of people, talked with them, and they obviously knew that he died, and many believed, but not all. Not all. And the same is true today. Evidence is great And I'm thankful for historic evidence and eyewitnesses. But the reality of the human condition is spiritual blindness. And only Jesus can heal us. He could stand in this room right now. And apart from God's gracious gift of faith, the spiritually blind would not see and believe. It's not true. It's not true when people say, if I could only see him, I'd believe. It's not true. The answer, the answer's not in looking. It's not in wondering. People don't need an audible voice or some miraculous sign. They need to be born again. Born from above. And we can pray for this. We can Pray for this. Don't let that sound like there's no hope. God accomplishes His will through various means, through your prayers. We can pray for this. We can share God's Word, knowing that that His Word is living and active. It gets to a person's soul and thoughts and heart. God uses these as a means To open eyes so people can see Jesus. Really see him. They need genuine saving faith. And faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Many of you have loved ones who who don't believe in Jesus. Who haven't repented of their sins and trusted in the saving work of Christ. Christ. 
don't stop praying for them. Pray that God will overcome their unbelief. Pray that Pray that God will heal their spiritual blindness. Pray that God will convict them of their sin and give them faith in the only Savior. Pray for the scriptures to speak to their hearts. Pray that they'll see more than looking, more than wondering, even more than understanding. But an understanding of the resurrected Lord that will cause them to stop resisting, to instead receive his mercy and blessing. John saw and believed. And he said in verse 9, For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. The resurrection is a must. And scripture said so in Psalm 16.10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. David's writing this. And he obviously went to the place of the dead and his body was decayed. From this psalm, Peter eventually understood the scripture. And he preached it in Acts 2, saying, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. Peter preached that. He knew the scripture. He put the pieces together. Mike Schumann, in the article I began with, concludes this way. With each ticking of the clock... The coming of Jesus draws nearer until the moment we will look upon him face to face as he descends from heaven to dwell with his people. On that day, our eyes will finally correlate with the vision of our hearts. Our dimmed sight will become entirely clear. We will see his face. Therefore, Christian... Listen to the Spirit as He urges you to see beyond the dark clouds. Trust Him even when the thunder is loudest and the Spirit's voice seems only a whisper. Believe that the Savior is with you and that He is coming to be with you again. You will feel His warmth, witness His brightness, and enjoy His light for all of eternity. The sun who reigns behind the clouds now will return on the clouds very soon and we all will see him. Let's pray together. Our great and glorious God, we we marvel at your plan. That before the beginning of time, within the Godhead, it was your plan to glorify yourself through this display of love and justice, mercy and grace. We stand in awe at the realization that you would send your son to be truly man. 
and truly God, to represent humanity, dying for your own, paying the price that we could never pay, so that you may be both just and the justifier of those who trust in you. And even this, even our faith is from you, a gracious gift so that no one may boast. Oh, what a glorious hope we have as we feel the the aches and pains in our bodies and know the grief of death to know that because Jesus was raised never to die again that we too will be raised unto everlasting life no more pain no more sorrow and it's all because of you it's accomplished because of Jesus and made certain by his resurrection Lord help us to see and to keep on seeing in awe in wonder that we may continue growing in our faith and praying for those we love who do not see give them eyes to see we pray in Jesus name Amen